guys are a part of this last week. There's a few folks I love extra special this week. One is Sydney Sprague, who is uh, in her last uh, Sunday with us before she goes off and plays softball on a scholarship at Missouri. And so uh, you guys be praying for her, and I know uh, as uh, her parents and aunt are down front, I know you guys are proud of her. And uh, as a church, Sydney, we love you. We'll be praying for you. We're excited for you. Keep your eye on this girl. She is the next better than Tim Tebow as a little young lady. So anyways, <laughs> she is uh, quite an amazing leader. Another person I love is uh, my friend Matt Nauer. I'm going to show you a picture of a gentleman on, on the screens. Is, uh, Matt Nauer, I've known this guy since he was three years old. I want you to pray for him and his family. They are the Nowries. If you remember Kirk Nowry, who spoke uh, a couple weeks ago, my mentor and pastor growing up, this is his son. Matt is at present uh, taking his team, the compound, as he works for Samaritan's Purse, out of the danger of where right now the Iraqis are killing the Iraqi Christians and where the U.S. has just bombed. And so I want you to pray for his family. Matt is uh, about 30 years old is completely in charge of the Samaritan's Purse efforts to bring both relief to the refugees that are there and bring the gospel of of Christ there. And so he has his uh, heart full, as he's been there now for three years, leading many, many, many people to Christ. Uh, They have been in danger, and they have been removing uh, over 100-plus of the Samaritan's Purse team out of harm's way. Matt is still there and um, is at present not going to leave until they ride this thing out. So I want you to pray for he and his family. He's someone who's very dear to my heart. That is his wife, Sarah, and their little man. And, um, and what we're going to do right now, we're going to pray for him. And I'm going to tell you about one more person I love. <clears throat> God, I just ask in this moment that you would be with Matt Nowry and his wife, Sarah, and their son. God, I pray you'd give them, uh, give them real favor, uh, give them protection. God, we, we in America have no clue um, what it's really like to have your life in harm's, day, uh, harm's way because of the, the message of Jesus. God, we know that this, this world, um, really, there is a spiritual battle that takes place, good versus evil, God. And we are, as Americans, God, we want to say thank you that we have the opportunity to even be in a house of worship to celebrate you and celebrate salvation. We, we, we thank you, God, for that. God, we pray for Matt and his family and ask, God, that you would, you would guide them, you'd protect them. God, you'd allow them to see uh, incredible fruit, as we'll hear about in just a moment, uh, of, of how your message, your word, what you did for us on the cross, and what you did when you rose from the dead, how it transforms lives. We ask, God, you'd bless them, watch over them, keep them safe. Amen. 21 years ago, uh, I gave my heart to that lady right there. In four days, we'll celebrate our anniversary. And there's not a person in my life. I'm on this side. <laughs> I'm not a person in my life that uh, I love more. And um, I get choked up thinking that uh, I have a best friend. And uh, although she's not Jesus, uh, she is in many ways skin on. Um, someone who um, I believe with all my heart. God has been using her uh, in my life ever since I've known her. Uh, we married, uh, I married her young. I was not quite that young. Um, she had a black eye on the wedding day. Not for me. 
But I want you to know that um, this morning, as Christy shares, um, you're going to hear from someone who uh, is very gifted um, with just an ability to just love God's Word and uh, to, to take things that sometimes we might say are a little bit complex or um, difficult to grasp. Uh, Christy really can just see God's Word. And for what it's worth, um, she is going to today pass on something that we've been really praying through as a family, as a couple. And in terms of us loving our church, this is why we love our church. And this is why we surrender to God's word and it being something that's power to our lives. And so on uh, the week of we celebrating 20, 21 years, my wife's going to share with our church today. So give it up for my wife, Christy. Thank you, lady. I love you. Um, when Jeff first asked me to share a week of I love my church, I thought that's easy. I can sum it up in one sentence. I love my church because I love the preacher <laughs> at my church. I love everything about him. Um, I fell in love with him because he was cute, because he had big muscles. But beyond that, I dated a lot of guys that thought they were great. And what I noticed about him is he just was great. Um, He had a crowd that followed him wherever he went. But what was different about him was he was always serving that crowd. And so he has stretched me. He has challenged me to not just love and study God's word, but to actually live it out and put it into practice. And baby... If I lined up all the men in the world, I'd pick you every day of the week and twice on Sunday, which I literally am today because I'm going to say that twice. No, I'm kidding. Um, But happy anniversary. I cannot believe it's been 21 years. That makes me feel old. All right. I feel like we have prayed three times already, so I'm just going to do a really quick one. You don't even have to close your eyes if you don't want to, okay? God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart would be pleasing to you. God, you know my heart. You know that it is desperately ugly. And so, God, I pray that today these would be your words and that we would bring you glory in what we do in this room and what we do when we leave this room. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, No, seriously, there are so many things I love about my church. Um, I could go on and on about our crazy miracle history of how God launched this church in a tent outside in the middle of January. I mean, just crazy that never happens. God has done some awesome things. We have some of the most amazing people in this church, talent that is on this stage every week leading you in worship. Um, We have this authenticity here that you don't find in churches very much where you can come in, be who you are. You don't have to pack your bags at the door. You're, You're able to be accepted by grace and by love. And so I was thinking this week, I'm like, how do I pick? There's so many things that I love about my church. And I felt like God just said to me, Stop thinking about what you love about my church and ask the question, what do I love about my church? What is it that if God was giving this message today that he would say to us, this is what I love about you, my church, and this is what I hope that you will never let go of and lose along your way. And I think if God was here today, the answer would be found in John chapter 15. And so I'm going to invite you to look it up on your smartphone. You can follow along on the screens, but we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 15. And in this passage, it lays out what I believe is what Jesus loves about my church, about the church around the globe, and kind of what our marching orders are. In the very 
very beginning of the Bible, when God had created the world and he created it perfect, he put Adam and Eve in this garden and he said, all right, I've created it all. Now I'm going to let go. I'm going to let you guys be in control. And what I want you to do is I want you to go out and be fruitful and multiply. And he meant literally like have babies and multiply and fill up the earth. But it's interesting to me in this passage in John chapter 15, Jesus has, God has intervened personally in human history again by sending his son Jesus to be on the earth. And Jesus is about to leave the earth. And what he tells the disciples is very similar to what God said in the very beginning. I want you to go out. I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. But this time he didn't just mean go have babies. He meant I want you to multiply my followers, my disciples. And this is what he says in John chapter 15, verse 1. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some verses from verse 1 to verse 16. So just kind of follow along. You can catch up with me. It says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Verse 2 says, he cuts off, ouch, every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes, another ouch, the branches that do bear fruit so that they will bear even more. Now, at first read, I think, all right, if you don't bear fruit, you get cut. You get cut off. If you do bear fruit, you get cut back. (laughs) Either way, it hurts. Now, I don't know if any of you parents have ever read a little book to your kids called The Important Book. Anybody ever read The Important Book? It's this book that talks about all these different things like snow. Snow comes from the sky. It's white. It lays on the ground. You can play in it, but the important thing about snow is that it's cold, all right? It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter where it is. When you go outside, you better be dressed warm because the important thing about snow is is cold. In this passage, the important thing is not what happens when you get cut off. Do you ever get back in or or, or are you left out on the ground, you know, or what's he going to do? The important thing about this passage is that we bear fruit. The important thing is that fruit is very important to God. Jesus goes on, he says in verse 5, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's a promise. For apart from me, you can do nothing on your own, In your own wisdom, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And I get real excited when I read that verse at first because I'm like, how about a new car? How about a new house? That'd be nice. How about a new job? How about new neighbors? I could do without those. Um, We get all excited. You could ask for anything you want and it would be granted. But remember... The topic of this passage, what's the important thing about this passage? The important thing about this passage is fruit. So what he means is you can ask for as much fruit as you want and it will be granted to you because this is the thing that God wants to do and is doing in our lives. Now what is fruit? That may be a, it's kind of a churchy concept. Fruit is simply this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how many of you want to pray for patience? No, because that's going to hurt. 
<laughs> you pray for patience and God's going to put people in your life to make you miserable so that you're going to have to develop that fruit, right? Fruit is also this in Matthew 20, um, verse 28. It says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life away as a ransom for many. So as we talk today and we talk about fruit, I want you to think of fruit as those things I listed. The things that they don't really happen naturally in us, at least not for very long. Love, joy, peace, patience. You know, we have joy until everything goes wrong, right? And then all of a sudden, it's very hard to have that apart from God. Fruit is also, think about fruit. Just think about a fruit tree. You have this tree that has all these green leaves. There's nothing there. And all of a sudden, in a certain season, there's something there that wasn't there. Something awesome that you can eat, that you can enjoy, and something that has a little seed in it. And that little seed is capable of reproducing more of that fruit. And so it's, it's kind of like a metaphor or a symbol for us that fruit is in people taking something that's not there, no love for God, no connection with God, and producing in a person a love and a connection and a desire to follow God. And then they are able, in turn, to take the seed that's been planted in them and reproduce it in other people. Am I making sense at all? So fruit is stuff that we don't naturally produce. We can't do it on our own. It takes the power and act of God. And this is what he says at the end of um, our little passage in John chapter 15. He says, when you produce much fruit, not if you produce much fruit, he says, when you produce much fruit, then you are my true disciples. Not when you finish reading the whole Bible, not when you get really smart about Bible stuff, not when you get your life all cleaned up and perfect. He says, when you produce much fruit, fruit is the evidence that we are God's disciples or his followers. Fruit is really important to God, and here's why. He says, this brings great glory to my Father. Fruit is what God wants. Fruit is not always what I want. (laughs) I don't know about you, but if I am really, really honest, there are things in my life and even when it comes to our church that some of the things I really want, some of the things I desire, some of the things I pray for, some of the things I flat out complain to God about, they are not on God's important list. For instance, I would love to have a lobby that was not 180 degrees in the summer. Anybody second that? (laughs) I would love to have my kids' rooms that had real doors and not just gates. There are things that I'm like, God, when can we get into that building? When can we move? When can we, like, have awesome stuff around here? When can the microphone not cackle anymore? Like, when can we have better stuff? I'm just going to confess to you this morning, I want better stuff for my church. That is just the ugly truth of my heart. A couple weeks ago, I had a friend visiting, 
And um, you know how you feel when your friends visit, you're so nervous, you want them to like it, you hope that the person on stage doesn't say anything stupid, you're thinking, great, it's Jeff's wife, they're never going to come back, they don't want to hear a woman, Um, all of that stuff. So I have my friend here and I'm really nervous and I found myself like explaining everything away because she goes to a really big pretty church and she's from out of town and, you know, like famous pastor and people. And so I found myself saying, you know, you know, sorry, the lobby's kind of hot and the air doesn't really work. We have a sprinkler system on the roof to cool it down. But, you know, some, we are moving to a new building eventually. And I, I kept going on and on kind of explaining away all of our deficiencies to her. And she said to me, she's, she took me by the hands and she was from Romania, but she's lived in the United States for 20 years. She says, Christy, I have lived in America for 20 years. I have been blessed to visit your biggest and prettiest churches in this country. She said, I have never seen 15 people get baptized in one service like I saw in your service. That landed on me like a ton of bricks. God doesn't care about our building. He doesn't care about the temperature. What he cares about is fruit. We had a daughter drive here from Louisiana to watch her 60-year-old parents get baptized. That's not something we can do. That's something that only God can to change your mind and your habits after 60 years. Only God can do that. That's what fruit is. And here's what God says. He says... John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, not me. She means the people on stage. She means the people that wear the My Church shirt. She doesn't mean me. The scripture says that God chose you. If you're sitting here today, he chose you to produce fruit. He wants to leverage your life, your story, your mess. You know one of the people in the Bible that produced the most fruit was a woman who knew nothing, knew nothing. She comes face to face with Jesus at this well, and Jesus tells her everything about her life. She tries to act like she's really smart and quote all these things, you know, um, like Jeff and I, when we run into people and gosh, we hate to tell them what we do. And as soon as we tell them what we do, they try to impress us with what they know. We don't care what you know. (laughs) What we care about is helping you find your way back to God. So anyways, this woman, she comes face to face with Jesus and she tries to impress him with her knowledge. And Jesus starts to say, where's your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know because you have five husbands. You've had five husbands. And the woman is blown away by her encounter with God. And do you know what she does? The first thing she does, she runs and tells everybody in her city, you got to come meet this guy. He is different. He knows everything about me and everything I've ever done. And I can just imagine people in the city are like, We've heard about everything you've ever done, but we would love to know all the details, so we're going to follow you back to this guy. And that day, it says that hundreds of people in her city put their faith in Christ and began to follow him because she did something very simple. She just invited. She just invited people. 
the first thing that we encourage you around here to do is, hey, you don't have to know everything there is to know about following Christ to invite somebody to come back with you. You can do that next week. Invite them to come back to the fall kickoff. We're about to kick off this thing called Freeway, these small groups. I know what you're thinking. I cannot lead a small group. I don't know enough. I'm not capable of that. You could open your home, or you might just be able to lead. You know what God loves to do? He loves to qualify the unqualified. He makes a promise to you that you will produce fruit that lasts if you stay connected with him and trust him. A lot of times I don't want fruit. I want better stuff. My second confession is this. Something happens when we become professional Christians. We start, I don't know, there's a tendency and I fall prey to it because I love learning. I love knowledge. It's a God-given gift. It's a gift. But if I am not careful, the way the enemy attacks me is by telling me and convincing me that learning and knowledge and what we call meat sometimes is more important than fruit. It's my, it's my natural battle and my natural tendency. I cannot help it. I grew up in a family that was full of meat. My father has five earned doctorates in theology, okay? So when most families do the hungry prayer, like, thank you, Jesus, for this food, amen, not us. We name all the names of God from A to Z in all 66 books of the Bible, and that is our prayer. You're starving. The food is cold <laughs> by the time it starts, all right? That's how I grew up. I can't help it. Before I learned to read, I learned to reenact Bible prophecy. I mean, this is just the home I grew up in, all right? I know to a lot of you that sounds really weird, but I love studying the Bible. I love meat. Here's the problem. Meat is a gift from God. It is a gift that is meant to use to strengthen you to produce fruit. Do you know in 18 years I spent in my home growing up, this amazing home where I learned so much about God's Word? Do you know my family never led one family to Christ personally, ever? Like, I never saw the power of God that I learned about in action, changing somebody else's life. And I can just tell you, having experienced both, having grown up in, like, this awesome, knowledge-filled, meat-based home, and having been in a church that is full of fruit, I would choose fruit for my kids every time. Do you know I'd be late every Sunday to church if it was up to me? But I have two kids who wake me up and say, Mom, we got to serve. We got to get there. I'm serving in the first service. We cannot be late. Get out of bed. Mom, here's your coffee. Come on, let's go. I grew up at church thinking those people were paid to serve me. Like, here I am. We had all the nice stuff, all of that. I hope you understand me. I'm going to show you this from the scripture. There is nothing wrong with, with me. There is nothing wrong with knowledge. It is a gift from God but it is a gift that is meant to be used. Hebrews chapter 5 says it this way, but solid food is for the mature who, read those next three words with me, by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Meat 
and knowledge and deeper wisdom and teaching is meant to be used for us to produce more fruit. It would be so much easier and so much cleaner if we could just be a meat factory. I mean, we could just have levels of, you know, you've arrived at this level of knowledge and you are awesome and you're going to graduate to the next level of awesome wisdom. What's messy is when we have to go apply it and actually use it. You know what, it, you know what happens? Because we can, we can do knowledge all by ourselves. It does not require faith. We cannot do fruit by ourselves. I can sit down and study and absorb for me but I can't change your heart. Only, only God can do that. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. And we don't see that power until we get involved in producing fruit in ourselves and reproducing it in the lives of other people. Let me give you just an example. Um, there has been this argument in church. And listen, hear my heart on this. I am so proud of our church. I'm so proud of the fruit that we are producing. I am praying that we will never lose our love for fruit. Because our human tendency is always to want to grab a hold of somebody, a leader, a teacher, a somebody wise that we can hold on to, and for them to be God's wisdom for us. This happened in the Bible. This happened to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was in a city where they were like the cultural hub of the world. They had a lot of knowledge. They had a lot of philosophers, and they became kind of proud about their wisdom, and they quit producing fruit. And they started to brag, like, we know this guy, Peter, he started the church. And some of you, you grew up under Paul, but man, we got this new teacher. His name is Apollos, and he is amazing. I've never heard anybody teach. And they were like putting their claws into Apollos and hanging on him. And Paul wrote them a letter, and he said to the Corinthians, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are putting your faith and trust in human leadership. 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 18, says this. Paul says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. As the scriptures say, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and he knows that they are worthless. So do not boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you. Whether you follow Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. What he was saying was, stop putting all of your hope and all of your stock into a person that you think is wise. We are to be connected to Christ the leaders of this church exist to point us to Christ. We sang a song a little bit ago about putting our faith and hope in, in Jesus. And there is nothing 
that our enemy can do to take you out of God's hand once you have made him the leader and forgiver of your life. But he can trick us into not producing the fruit that we were appointed to fruit to produce by getting us sidetracked. For years and years and years and years and years, there has been an argument among churches. I'm going to illustrate it this way. It's an argument that I hope you have never heard of, but maybe you have. It has divided churches. It has divided families. It is something that growing up my family would argue about, you know, around the Christmas table, which is terrible. Um, And so for years and years, I've read books about it. I have searched. I have just wanted to know the truth. And it's, it's this argument of like when we come to the point of salvation, some people say that when we make Jesus the leader and forgiver of our lives, we choose him. We're choosing him. Um, which sounds awesome, right? Because God loves us and gives us a free will and we can choose him and anybody can be saved. And that's so awesome. Except if God is all powerful, then doesn't that make us kind of in control and not God because we're doing the choosing, all right? The other side of the argument is, no, 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 no. You don't choose God. God chooses you. Well, that sounds awesome too because, you know, God's in control. And yeah, apart from God, I would never choose him. He chooses me. So, you know, which one is true? I spent years of my life studying this, trying to figure out which one is true. So finally, a couple years ago, Jeff and I got a chance to go to Israel and meet this pastor. He was the pastor of the largest messianic church um, in Israel, meaning that these Jews had put their faith in Jesus as their Savior, believed he was the Messiah. And so I am so excited because this man's history is awesome. Like his family survived the Holocaust. God spared him, brought him back to the Holy Land. Like if anybody would know the answer to this question, this man, Pastor Sammy, would know. And I'm so excited. And the thing that I've been dying to know the answer to for years and years and years, I'm about to meet this guy. I am about to get my answer from this man. And so I go up to him and I say, Pastor Sammy, my name is Christy. I just have to know, what do you believe about that whole choosing argument? You know what he said to me? He said, there are 7 million of my countrymen that are back here in Israel. 7,000 of them know and believe that Jesus was the Messiah and are going to heaven when they die. And then he said 10 words that changed my life. He said, I do not have time to argue about such things. I pick my jaw up off the floor. I'm like, I am such a stupid American. (laughs) I'm like walking away. You know what's cool? Last night, I just thought I'd look Sammy up on the internet. Guess how many people in his country say that they believe Jesus is the Messiah now? A couple years ago, it was 7,000. Now he claims 20,000, more than double. You know why? Because Sammy cared more about fruit than he did about stupid arguments. And some of you, you just got bored when I went into that whole thing, all right? I'm glad. I hope that you haven't even thought about that stuff yet. But listen, as you grow in your walk with Christ, I'm not saying that knowledge is bad. God gives it to us as a gift But the purpose of knowledge is to strengthen us to produce fruit. And the question we ought to be asking ourselves is not how much we know, but are we producing fruit? 
Are we doing that? Because when a day goes by that we don't produce fruit, we are not doing what we were appointed to do. All right, I'm going to tell you my third confession and last for today. I have more, but this is all you're getting today. My third confession is I hate giving people up. I hate it. I want everybody to stay together forever, one big happy family. Remember what we read in the beginning about John, that those that don't produce fruit get cut off, and those that do produce fruit, they get cut back? There is something that is very painful called pruning. Several years ago, everybody got really excited about this book called um, The Prayer of Jabez. Anybody read that or buy that? Everybody was so excited because it taught you how to pray this prayer. God, bless my life. God, expand my territory. And I mean, he sold millions of copies because everybody wanted their life to be blessed. Well, he followed it up with a second book called The Secrets of the Vine. That was this passage, John 15. Nobody bought that book. Nobody wanted to read that book. Because he said, oh, yeah, the addendum to book one is that in order for your life to be blessed like that, it hurts. It hurts in ways you would never choose for it to hurt. In other words, I'm going to cut people out of your life. I'm going to cut stuff out of your life. I'm going to cut things that you love out in order to make room for more growth. Several years back, Jeff and I bought our neighbor's house. I don't recommend that. It gets very personal, very touchy. We bought our neighbor's house, and the woman who lived there, she was this amazing gardener. So I was super excited because I was inheriting, like we had no landscaping. I was inheriting all of hers, and I was so excited about that. Well, a couple days before we closed on the house, she goes, oh, by the way, I'm going to probably come back, and I am going to just um, take some of my bushes, like cut some shoots off so that I can replant them at my new house. And I was like, take your bushes. In two days, they're going to be my bushes. (laughs) You better not come and take my bushes without my permission. So we close on the house. And sure enough, one day I come home and my beautiful symmetrical landscape, half of it is missing. I mean, she didn't take a couple branches. She cut the bushes in half and took half of them out. I mean, Jeff pulled up and he's like, what happened? What'd you do? I'm like, I didn't do it. Betty did it. She took, she stole our bushes. They're mine. Now I call Betty. I'm like, Betty, my yard's looking a little funny. And she's like, oh, don't worry. It'll all grow back. Sure enough, one year later, everything's grown back. You know what happened? I went to visit Betty for a birthday party. And guess what? All of those bushes were now growing in her yard, too. Here's what it looks like in our life. We're sending off a family tomorrow, the Harrison family, that have been near and dear to my heart for five years. They've served in our kids' ministry. I mean, my 15-year-old, she has given her hand in marriage to their son, Witty. He's only two. But (laughs) she was going to wait for him. (laughs) He was going to be worth it. We were going to, like do ministry together forever. And God is cutting them out of our church, not just them, but several families. And you know why he's doing that? Because someday we're going to go to Josh and Kelsey's church and we're going to see my church reproduced. And in their absence, because they are no longer with us, we have like 20 brand new My Kids Leaders. 
That's how fruit works. We would never choose it. It hurts. But that is what God loves. I don't always love what God loves. I don't always want what God wants. But that is how he works among us to produce fruit. And fruit is important to him. A couple years ago, Jeff and I fell in love with this couple, John and Allie. We loved the girl immediately because our daughter shared the same name. And we just loved this little military couple. I mean, they had so much potential. We were discipling them, helping them, you know, find their way back to God. And then came the dreaded announcement from military families. You know, I moved back to Columbus thinking nobody was ever going to move. I totally forgot it was a military town. So like every two to three years, we get our hearts ripped out having to say goodbye to you guys. And what happened was John and Allie went to Italy And a couple weeks later, a a new couple walks through the door. Their names were Jeff and Harley. And Jeff and Harley said, we just moved here from Italy. We met John and Allie. And with tears in their eyes, they told us, you got to go to my church when you get to Columbus. Well, guess what? For a year, we were in small group with Jeff and Harley. We loved them. We loved their children. And just this summer, they moved to North Carolina. Stinking Fayetteville, there is nothing there. Um, and I'm just waiting. I'm like, God, I'm just waiting for the next couple that comes through the door and says, we're here because we met Jeff and Harley at Fort Bragg. See, church is so much bigger than us. In the South, we get really territorial. We want to hold on to our people. We want to, like, hang on our pastor's coattails. And we think that what he gives us in 30 minutes a week is going to be enough. God says, no, no, no. I don't want you connected to Jeff Murphy. I want you connected to your Savior. And when you are stepping out and producing fruit, then I will fill you with more wisdom more knowledge that you're going to need to produce more fruit. Anybody feel frustrated or stuck in your spiritual walk? Like it was all new and it was all awesome and now I'm just like stuck. Guess what? Ask for whatever you want in his name. Ask for fruit and he will do it because fruit is important and that's what he loves and that's what he has planned for you. So we're going to give you two easy on-ramps to producing fruit if this whole fruit idea is new to you. One is simply this. Invite somebody to come back with you next week. All right? You won't be embarrassed. It won't be me speaking, okay? Number two, get involved in this freeway thing when it happens in September. Offer up your home offer to lead. Listen, Paul told these Corinthians, some of you, you've been drinking milk for too long. I'm having to teach you, and it's time for you to start teaching. And I know what we all say. I'm not ready to teach. I'm not prepared. Listen, teaching will get you prepared. You teach in the kids' area one week. You lead a small group, and all of a sudden, you're studying more than you've ever studied before. Just ask Luis. He leads a James Bible study. And, man, he is, I guarantee you, he is learning more than everybody else in his group because the pressure's on. You're the leader. You're producing fruit. And when you put yourself in that position, you stay attached to Jesus, not a church, not a leader. 
then God will blow your mind with more wisdom, more guidance than you ever dreamed possible. But you, the important thing is that you will see the power of God at work. Sitting down and learning for yourself, it doesn't take power. It doesn't take faith. You know what God says? He says, without faith, it is impossible to please me. I'd like to go so far as to say without fruit, it is impossible to please him because fruit requires faith. And if you ask for it, he will give it to you. He wants to do it through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, forgive me of my sins. God, I pray that you would remind me, do whatever it takes, God. Prune my life, prune the people that I love. God, for me to keep my focus on producing fruit. God, I pray that you'd give me the strength and the wisdom to raise my children to produce fruit and to love it and not be scared of it. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.